Turn with me, if you would, to John chapter 10, continuing the series of the I Am statements of Jesus in the book of John, discovering more about uh, who Jesus is, and uh, certainly every I Am statement is a strong link to the I Am of the Old Testament and the divinity of Jesus Christ. Uh, and as we have seen the last uh, two combined community groups, that is a, a very common point of error in the cults, is they don't uh, elevate Jesus uh, to deity. Many of them believe and teach that he was uh, created and was a great teacher and taught others to love, uh, but yet that he's not uh, really God himself. And we see that he makes the claim uh, to be God. And the Jews that did not believe in that claim, often uh, accused him of blasphemy and even wanted to stone him. But today we'll see in John chapter 10, uh, another I am statement, I am the good shepherd. We learn things about other people in many different ways. Uh, If you were here Easter Sunday, you may remember the first I am uh, statement that we looked at, and uh, it was more of a general truth. I am the eternal present God. Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. And you may recall that in that message, I gave you a whole rundown of a guy by the name of Tom Johnson and uh, what he did, what he likes to do, his children's names, even what kind of ice cream his daughter likes, and all of these things about Tom Johnson, a guy that I've never met in my life, but I learned all of that from his profile on Facebook. So from our social media pages, uh, from resumes, from LinkedIn, uh, we learn things like where a person lives, where, where someone go, went to school, their place of employment, other family members that are part of their, of their family, hobbies, favorite quotes. Uh, I got on my oldest brother's Facebook profile and saw that he had a timeline of events, I think all the way back into high school and how he sang in a quartet. I mean, it's like Stephen's telling the world, this is, uh, this is all about you know, my timeline of events. So these are ways that we learn about uh, people. If you want to go a little bit more general, then you have all of the trading cards for uh, Major League Baseball is a huge one. Of course, NFL, NBA, Major League Soccer. Uh, But has anybody heard of Ronald Acuna Jr.? Anybody? Yeah. 2018, rookie on the Braves team. He's a phenomenal baseball player. I had a chance to see him you know, play live at the stadium a few weeks ago. Uh, the Braves did, a, I think they ended up winning last night. I saw a, a score about in the sixth season, and uh, Caleb was saying, yes, they did. Final score, do you remember? Uh, oh, my goodness, 11 to 5. So Ronald Acuna Jr., one of his trading cards, uh, 2018 Topps Chrome Gold Wave Refractor number 193, Ronald Acuna Jr. slash 50 PSA 10. All that describes one card. It's worth about $13,000, one little piece of cardboard. But on the back of that card, you can learn things about uh, his runs, hits, home runs, runs batted in, batting average, stolen bases, you know, all these things. Some of you care a lot about, and other, others of you would be like, I could care less uh, about all those stats. But I want to draw your attention to some characteristics of the Good Shepherd. I want to look at some things in John chapter 10 of how, what our Good Shepherd and who our Good Shepherd is. What are some characteristics of that? First and foremost, we see that our Good Shepherd, Jesus Christ, is a relational shepherd. He's a relational shepherd. I'm going to say a number to you, and I want to ask if this number means anything to you. Okay, listen very closely. 392-05-882. 392-05-882. Does that number mean anything to you? It could. It could, be, it could be the combination code to a safe of millions of dollars. 
could be a serial uh, code number. Uh, it could be a lot of different things. But you want to know what that number is? It's my GoDaddy client number, customer number. I'm like, whoo, wow. It's not my social security number. So when I first, I've gotten, you know, different domain names through the years through GoDaddy. And when, when I first registered with GoDaddy, for whatever reason, uh, I, was, I was led to, through the steps, I was led to log in using my customer number and then a password. I'm not going to tell you my password, but the customer number is this, 392-05-882. I don't even know that number by heart. So every time that I sign in to GoDaddy, I have to go back to my Excel spreadsheet of all my usernames and passwords and I do a search, you know, GoDaddy, and it drops me down to that box. I go over, and I go, okay, what is my customer number? Well, it's 392-05882. I don't even know that by heart. But often when I log in, I, I think, and I, you, I may be weird, but I even think about this. I'm just a number. I'm just a number. GoDaddy doesn't really care a whole lot about, oh, David Huffman's signing in right now. How could we help him? And there may be even a little chat box that, you know, that pops up sometimes. We're here to help you. No, they're not. I mean, they, you know, all this stuff is automated. They don't care that I'm signing in. But they, I'm just a number. Imagine with me if each one of us as spiritual sheep had a sheep tag hanging from our ear. And we were just a, a sheep number to Jesus Christ, the shepherd. And maybe I would be 392-05-882 sheep. And all, all my life, I went around with this sheep tag number. I mean, livestock have that sometimes, right? But we're not just a, a sheep. We don't have sheep tags. We're not just a number to Jesus Christ. In fact, he is a very relational shepherd. Look with me in John chapter 10, verses 1 through 3. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now listen to this. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And then I love this next part. And he calls his own sheep by name. Of the billions of people that have existed and lived before us, the billions of people that are alive right now, but every single person who has been a sheep of Jesus Christ, a follower of the Good Shepherd, Jesus has known by name. He has known us thoroughly. He's known us completely. We see a, a little glimpse of how significant this is in John in a very special, unique encounter right after Jesus Christ was raised from the dead again. And Mary Magdalene, in fact, we learned about Mary Magdalene in Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, uh, that she had seven demons that, G that Christ had cast out of her. She was also one of the women that would accompany Jesus many times on his trips and would help out of her own means. It seems like maybe she was a wealthy woman, and so she would help Jesus out of her own means to, to support him. Maybe she wasn't wealthy. Maybe she was very sacrificial. You know, so that, that was a little bit of speculation. But nonetheless, she was a supporter and a follower of Jesus Christ. But notice, and you're going to see it on the screen or follow along in your Bibles, in John chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. We, we see Jesus coming you know, shortly after his resurrection. Mary has, has gone to care as best as she can for the body of Jesus. But it doesn't appear that she had truly believed and understood that Jesus was going to rise again. So, we, we come to verse 11 of John chapter 20. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. 
She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing and then noticed, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Now, this is interesting to me. Yes, he, he was resurrected, but I, I'm sure, I mean, others seem to recognize Jesus after the resurrection. And so I don't know if Mary was just so distraught and so distorted and, and you know, confused and, and sad. I'm not sure why she didn't recognize Jesus right away, but John says she didn't even know who she was talking to. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, sir... So this is just Lord or Master, kind of in a general sense. Uh, it comes from the Greek kurios. Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you, you've laid him and I will take him away. And maybe, you know, perhaps she was still looking down at this point and, and crying. And I, I don't know, but she was saying, you know, if you know where he's at, let me know. I'll, I'll take him away. And then notice this. Jesus said to her, Mary and then she turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabbi, teacher. So immediately, all he had to do was just call her by name, Mary. And she said, then she, she knew this is Jesus. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, but go to my brothers and say to them i am ascending to my father and your father to my god i love this there is relational all this very very close relationship that jesus is representing to my father and your father to my god and your god mary magdalene went and announced to the disciples i have seen the lord and that he had said these things to her now i think it's very um, unlikely Impossible even that if we go to Swift Cantrell uh, Park just a, a few minutes behind us here or even if we go to Logan Farm Park this afternoon and you decide to do a picnic or, or whatever it may be, unless Christ comes back to take all of us to heaven, we're not going to see Christ in the flesh at the park. But I want to encourage you in this way. It doesn't matter whatever situation you may go, be going through and you, you may be very, very confused you may, may be very disoriented. You might have had some very difficult situations just happen. I mean, Mary thinks that who she thought was the Savior and who she had cared for and, 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 and gone with, she thought that he had really died and would not be raised again, it appears. But yet in that moment, Jesus, all he had to do was just say, Mary. I'm not trying to get spooky here, but Jesus will use his word to remind you, hey, I know you. I know you. He'll use other brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us, you may be very disoriented right now. You may, be, you may think and not feel that Jesus is, clear, is, is near at all. But he'll use other brothers and sisters in Christ to remind us, I'm here. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. I want to guide you. I want to go before you as your good shepherd. I want to bring you into to the sheepfold. And then I want to lead you out into the pasture. He's a very relational God. In addition to this, we see that Christ is an intentional shepherd. 
Christ is an intentional shepherd. John 10, verses 3 and 4, to him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. But very intentional, he leads them out, brought out all his own, goes before them. There's, there's evidence here. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I'm glad you're part of the sheepfold. Good luck. Uh, we had one of our children, uh, younger children, write a thank you note recently. And at the end of the, end of the thank you note, uh, this particular child said to the individual he was writing the note to, have a good life. <laughs> it's like, wow, okay, thank you, have a good life. Jesus doesn't do that to us. Jesus doesn't say, hey, welcome to the sheepfold. I'm glad you're part, part of my, you know, my fold and your, your sheep. Have a good life. No, he goes before us. He leads us in and out. He's very intentional. It was interesting as we, Dad and I spent a week at camp, Red Cliff Bible Camp in Wyoming. Um, I want to, sh- the next slide this is, this is why it's called Red Cliff Bible Camp. There's actually Red Cliffs uh, as part of the Wind River uh, Mountain Range, and uh, the Red Cliffs are there. I had never taken a hike to the bottom of the cliffs. In all the years and different times that I've been to Red Cliff Bible Camp, I've never gone to the bottom of the, of the cliffs. But on this particular uh, week, they announced, hey, we're going to take a hike to the bottom of the cliffs if you want to do that. And I thought, yeah, I'd love to do that. I've gone to the top a number of times. I've even rappelled down the cliffs. And believe it or not, Kim even rappelled down the cliffs with me. We even have a picture of us kissing together. Oh, yeah. And we lived, right? Yes, thank you, thank you. But we did a hike this time to the bottom of the cliffs. Keith Holt's a friend of mine. Ben Holt was here a few weeks ago and gave a testimony. Uh, Keith Holt, his brother, is out at Redcliffe Bible Camp's full-time staff. And so as we were starting the hike, Keith and I were talking. I was kind of the front of the line. And he said, David, he said, actually, there's not really a trail, you know, to the bottom of the cliffs. So, you know, I'm just going to, I've been there a few times. And so I'm going to lead everybody. And he was right. I mean, there wasn't a trail. So we were going over, you know, downed trees and, and trying to go around the puddles of melted snow. And uh, we're, it, was, it was not a trail. But Keith knew where he was going. So we made it to the bottom of the, of the cliffs and took some pictures. And uh, we were battling the, the, it seemed like, millions of mosquitoes that were in that area. But had a great time, beautiful view. Then it was time to go back. And so Keith says uh, to Jenna, so the next picture, Jenna Hansen, Jenna's older sister, a little bit of history here, Jenna, Jenna's older sister, Kristen, was our flower girl in our wedding. So it was neat to see Jenna. She's serving there, summer staff, uh, didn't know the area nearly as well as Keith, who's full-time staff, but Keith said to Jenna, Jenna, lead us back. You're going to be the one to lead us back to camp. I'll take up the rear. You take the front this time and lead us back to camp. And uh, Jenna, I, I really admire her, she appreciate her. She's like, okay. And she took charge and she's like, here we go. And she had the bear mace and she had a backpack, first aid kit. And she's leading us back. And partway through the hike, she stops and she says, hey, let's just let everybody catch up. And uh, let's let everybody get a moment to take a breath. And so we all kind of waited. And then as the last part of the group kind of got there, I happened to notice that Jenna calls Keith over and, and says, hey, Keith where do I go next? 
where do I take them next? And I just laughed. I just, because she, you know, she didn't really know where she was leading us. And so she went back to Keith and says, where next? And a couple times during the hike, Keith from the back would say, no, no, Jenna, go to the left side, you know, or whatever. We did make it back to camp and obviously we're here. So we didn't get lost forever in the forest. But Jenna didn't quite know the path. Jesus, our good shepherd, has gone before us. Look at this verse again. Next slide in John 10. This is verse 4. It says, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. He goes before them. Jesus has been a child. He knows what it's like to be a kid. Jesus has experienced the... the, Last night, we, we uh, just through a course of events, I was trying to finish uh, the cutting grass, and uh, we had a friend of ours, Doug, uh, come through in town, and he's here with us this morning. We, we ended up going out to eat, but it was quite late. And we were still waiting for our table, and uh, I could tell Dad was getting a little anxious. He was very hungry. It was probably, what, about 8.15, 8.30 by the time we... Quarter after 15. It was quarter after 15 when he finally sat at the table, and so we, we experience hunger, and we know, we know kind of what some of those things that those bring. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Jesus knows exactly what it is to have someone who's supposed to be your closest friend, someone who's supposed to be so loyal to you. Of the 12 disciples, one, we all know Judas, betrayed him with a kiss. And even Peter denied three times even knowing Jesus adamantly. No, I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. Jesus knows the, the, the feeling of betrayal, but yet he's gone before us. What a blessing the truth is in Hebrews 14, and I'll read it for you. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us be firm in our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one, and notice this, who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And then the latter part of that passage, Hebrews 4, 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may find, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I'm so thankful that in, every, in any possible situation that I can face in my life, I can know Jesus has gone before Jesus knows exactly what I'm facing. He knows exactly what I may feel. He knows maybe even the desperation that I'm experiencing right now. But he went through all of that without sin. And for that reason, I can run to Jesus boldly and find help and mercy at the throne of grace. Jesus is a very intentional shepherd. He knows us personally. He knows us completely. And he's ready to help. I pray that you'll run to him. Thirdly, we see that Christ is a sacrificial shepherd. Five times in this passage, Jesus says that he will give his life for his sheep. I, I, I love my wife dearly. I love each of my kids dearly. I love my dad dearly. And so I'm ready. If I need to, I'm ready to give my life for them. However, there's no imminent reason to think that I'm going to have to give my life to them, right? 
I don't, I don't have any, you know, any that I know of, any threat on my life at this moment. I don't have any reason to think, you know, that, uh, that, that I'm going to have to present my life in place of theirs in the next 24, 48 hours, and even the next few years. I'm ready. I'm willing. But Jesus knew full well. This wasn't just like, hey, I'm, I'm willing to give my life for my sheep. He says, no, I'm, I'm, I will lay down my life. He took upon flesh in the, the, the form of a human in John chapter 1 and uh, even in verse 14 very clearly. He took upon the, himself the form of flesh and he came to die for us. So we see in John chapter 10 and verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. John 10, 14 and 15, I am the good shepherd. Once again, I know my own and my own know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Verse 17, once again, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. Next verse in verse 18, no one takes it from me but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father now, just a, a side note, even though I can boldly say, and I believe with all of my heart, that I would give my life for my family, and I hope even for you, my church family, even though I can say that, I can't say, like Jesus did, I can give my life, and then I can raise myself up again. I can never make that claim. But Jesus, as a sacrificial shepherd, says, I have authority and I'm going to lay down my life. Five times he reminds us, I'm going to lay down my life. I'll lay down my life. This moved Paul to such an extent under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, it says this, For the love of Christ controls us, compels us, moves us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. Then notice the next phrase, And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So Christ as our sacrificial shepherd who makes it very clear, I'm not just willing, but I did, I am going to lay down my life. And we read back, now we can look back on that and see that he did lay down his life and he did raise it up again. But as Christ who sacrificed his life for us, I, I ask you and I ask myself the same question, especially as I studied through this, what am I, what are you willing to sacrifice for him? He has given his life for you. What are you willing to sacrifice for him? Are you willing to sacrifice your schedules? Oh man, pastor, I'm just busy. I know. There are so, so many good things that we can do, but we have to be careful. Am I willing to sacrifice my schedule? Okay, what about my dreams? God, this is what I want my life to look at, or look like. And, and in every phase, we can, that, that dream sheet is gonna be a little different. It was different when I was 18, it's a little bit different now that I'm 47, but we always have these dreams of what we would love for our life to look at, and oftentimes, whether we verbally say this or not, it's a temptation for us to say, God, these are my dreams. Can you sign it? Can you give an okay on this? Can you make all these things happen? Well, Paul says, Christ died for me. I'm willing to give my life back to him. What about your dreams? Are you willing to have those with an open hand? God, you can have my dreams. If these aren't your dreams for me, then I don't want them. You can have my dreams. How about your hobbies? 
You willing to give your hobbies back? Can, can God use your hobbies for Christ? Absolutely. But keep them in check. Keep them in priority. How about your educational pursuits? Wait a minute, Pastor. This is back to school Sunday. <laughs> Encourage our kids to study. Yes, you should study. But is that all life is about? No. So understand, I'm not trying to change Scripture, but think about it a little bit like this. And he died for all that those who might live who live might no longer live for their own schedule, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. After he died for all, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for their own dreams, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for their own hobbies, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for their favorite relationships, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And there may be something that tends to kind of elevate itself to the position of God in your life. And I want to encourage you, as you meditate on that, and as you think about what Paul did or said under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, it's meant for all of us as believers, and as we remind ourselves of the sacrificial shepherd that we serve and how he laid down his life for us, I pray that you will come to the point, even this morning, where, you're, where you would say, because he died for me, I want to give him this or this person or whatever. I want to be sacrificial in return, giving in return back to Christ. Christ is a courageous shepherd. John chapter 10, we see in verses 11 through 13. But let me think about this. So in our urban areas, Metro Atlanta is obviously very urban. Who are some of the first responders? When you think of a first responder, what are some of the first responders that come to mind? Firemen, I think somebody said. Yep, the uh, police force. Somebody say EMS? Yeah, so the, the, the EMTs, the emergency medical technicians, I believe, the paramedics. These are some of the, the first responders. These are some of the community heroes that we think about. Thankfully, some of the churches, and maybe we'll do this at some point, but they have you know, First Responder Sunday, and they honor those men and women who serve in that capacity, our community, often putting themselves at risk, at great risk, uh, to serve us and to, to be the first responders in our community. But have you ever heard of a church doing a, a Shepherd's Sunday? These are for all the local shepherds that watch their, you know, watch their sheep in the fields at night and, and all that. And during the day, this Sunday is for you. Anybody been a part of a shepherd's Sunday? I'm not talking about like a pastor's Sunday, but a shepherd's Sunday. It's not normal. We, we don't think about, you know, the dangers of being a, a shepherd. See the next picture here. I've shown this to some of you. Bear with me and humor me a little bit. This is going to be a little bit like show and tell. You're like, man, Pastor, this, you're really taking this back to school, uh, literally, you know, show and tell day. Okay, but bear with me. What do you think this is? It's a little grainy picture. It was taken at night. A moose. I, I have not grown up in Wyoming. I grew up mainly here in Georgia. I did spend a long time in Brazil. There were no moose in Brazil that I know of. I've never seen a moose here in Georgia. Maybe there's one at the zoo. I, I don't know. But I've never seen a moose, certainly not in my backyard. This was in the yard next to the pastor's house we stayed with the night before we left. The locals understand very clearly that a moose is not something to, to play around with. You, we, we didn't like go and try to feed the moose apples. 
here, moosey, moosey, moosey. And we didn't do that. We stood afar. Somebody got in their car. It was, it was getting dark, as you can see, and you can kind of see the lights shining. Somebody got in their car, shined the headlights on so we could see the moose a little bit better. But we kept our distance. That's a moose. Something else. Next, next slide. This is right when you arrive in the Jackson Airport. About just a few feet from the last uh, baggage carousel, they have a bear spray rental station. Anybody seen that in the Atlanta airport? I've, I've never been to the bear spray rental station in the Atlanta airport. Anybody else? No. But right in Jackson airport, because the threat is real. If you think a moose can do damage, think about bears. And so I noticed that. Even though I've been to Wyoming a number of times, I, I took notice that, okay, I've got to remind myself, there are bear around here. And so there's bear spray rental, and you can see the bear aware <laughs> on the little thing there. But this is, this is important. So all the hikes that we did, the leaders had uh, the bear spray, the bear mace, and they would even tell us, our friends would tell us, if for some reason you have to use a bear mace, this is how you do it. Don't try to spray it in their eyes. You spray it towards the ground because the wind will take it into their eyes and, and all this. I listened closely to those instructions. David, in the Old Testament, told Saul, I have fought off lions and bears as a shepherd. I fought off lions and bears as a shepherd. So sometimes in our, in our urban capacity, you know, we think, well, we protect our livestock now by, you know, fences and barns. And if need be, you know, we have guns <laughs> that we can shoot, uh, predatory animals. And so we, we don't think as much of the danger of a shepherd. But in this context, these people understood very closely, very, uh, very easily what Jesus was saying is, I'm the good shepherd. I'm not going to run. Notice with me the passage in John 10, verses 11 through 13. We see that our good shepherd fights courageously for his sheep. He says in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. So in our, in our modern world, we deceive ourselves, really, into thinking that, we're, we're, that we live in a, in a pretty safe, physically safe environment. And compared to many areas of the world, that's true. However, oftentimes we also kind of begin to enlull ourselves into thinking, if I'm in a, a moderately safe area physically, spiritually I'm pretty safe too. But yet, don't, don't forget that even in modern metro Atlanta in 2023, there are plenty of spiritual dangers, and the truth that we're going to see in the next verse is still uh, so true today. Look at 1 Peter 5, 8, in fact. And this truth that was written uh, over you know, almost 2,000 years ago is still very, very true today, and sometimes we don't even see it right around us. 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. 
And sometimes because we live at what we feel like in a, in a relatively safe physical area, then, then we think, okay, spiritually, you know, we don't see a, a lot of the, uh, the dark voodoo in things around us. We don't often see, you know, the, the demon possessions that sometimes are more prevalent and very obvious in other parts of the world, as I have seen in, in different places. But yet, don't fool yourself. Satan is very strategic, he's very smart, he's very intelligent, and there are as many or, or even more hidden dangers all around us, and he's waiting to devour you. But notice the rest of the part of this passage. This is where it's encouraging to see a courageous shepherd. 1 Peter chapter 5 again. Now let's start in verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he's a relational God and it says because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, notice what we read next. The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself. This refers back to the mighty God earlier in this passage. This reminds us of the good shepherd, the courageous good shepherd that we have. And it says, he will himself restore, confirm, strengthen and establish you. And then to kind of sum it all up, we see in verse 11 of 1 Peter 5, to him be the dominion forever and ever. He is a mighty God. He is a warrior for you. He is a fighting shepherd. All throughout the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 3, it says, you should not fear them, for it is the Lord your God who fights for you. Joshua 23, 10, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. Proverbs 18.10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Then we come into the New Testament, Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We still serve this same courageous shepherd. And I want to encourage you, if you're trying to kind of fight back the temptations and the darkness and the lostness of this world in your own power, it's, you're not going to do it. You're not going to, you, you won't last for very long. But yet, if you run to Christ and if you go to his strong tower and say, Lord, fight for me. Remind me of your promise that no temptation has taken me, but such is his common to man, who will with the temptation, God is faithful and will provide a way of escape because he is a courageous good shepherd. He's not going to run. He does, he's not fearful of Satan. He's not fearful of all of Satan's strategies. He will fight for you and for me, but we've got to let him. Allow Christ to fight for us and trust in him and go to him as our safety and as our strong tower. Lastly, we see Christ is a reconciling shepherd. Christ is a reconciling shepherd. If you've had children of your own, or you've worked in uh, a daycare, or a, a school setting, or even you know church setting in, in a nursery, you know that whether it's helping two two-year-olds 
Or let's, let's then advance that 90 years later, maybe even to 92-year-olds and all in between. You know that as humans, we often are not peacemakers, troublemakers. We want our own thing. We want our own right. We want to push the button in the elevator. We want that piece of cake. You know, we want our yard to, to be better than the yard you know, next to, to us or whatever it may be. We want our car to be nicer. We want our kids to do better in sports. Whatever it may be, we, we see the, reconcil- the need for reconciliation, the need for peace. From marriage relationships, even to work relationships, it's no news to you to know that, that we, we need restoration. We need the peace of God. Even in, in, in the little animal world, the fallen nature of a whole world is evident. I've told you about a little toy Yorkie that we sometimes dog sit for my mother-in-law. I mean, it's, it's a dinky little thing. It's like, it's, it looks like a stuffed animal. But yet, when uh, Yorkie, this little toy Yorkie who we call Diesel, or she calls him Diesel. When Diesel was, anytime that Diesel gets together with his little brother, Jack, they fight. They can't get along. I mean, you've got these two little stuffed animals looking like dogs, and they're fighting. And so much so that, that Rosie, Kim's sister, had to give Diesel away to her mom, Kim's mom, so that the two dogs could be separate. It's like, how silly. Well, how silly are we, made in the image of God, have the opportunity to know Jesus Christ, who in Ephesians chapter 2 says, he is our peace. We desperately need the reconciliation of God. And we see that he is a reconciling God. Notice with me in John chapter 10 and verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock one shepherd. As best as I know, and I may, maybe I have overlooked something, but as best as I know, all of us in this room today, this morning, are probably included in this other sheep. I, I don't know that any of you are Jewish. Thank God for that, that he said this. Thank God that Jesus Christ is a reconciling shepherd who in that day, was already living out and fleshing out to his believers and his followers that, listen, this is, this is a, a gospel for all. We see even an invitation that we, the last week, John chapter 10 and verse 9, that I, we talked about, I am the door. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. There was such division between the Jews and the Gentiles that even some very solid uh, uh, disciples of Christ, Peter, had great hesitation to go and take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 10, God used a, a very miraculous and interesting and unique vision of unclean food and on several occasions said, Peter, arise and eat. And Peter's like, no, 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 these, this is unclean. I can't, I can't eat of these things. But God, through that vision, showed Peter, no, in essence, the main teaching is that I want you to take the gospel to a Gentile family. Acts chapter 10 says, as he was contemplating even this vision, the Spirit told Peter, there's three men at your door right now 
who have been sent, receive them, and go back with them to share the gospel with, we would learn, Cornelius. Cornelius was God-fearing. Cornelius gave alms to the poor. But yet Cornelius did not know Jesus Christ as his savior, as his shepherd. And Peter, initially with great hesitation, but upon God's very clear instruction of Peter, go without a doubt. Go without hesitation. And we see this reconciling shepherd with, with Peter and Cornelius' family. And Cornelius and his whole family, it says in Acts chapter 10, was gloriously saved then Peter was able to report that back to the Jewish believers in Jesus Christ, and they rejoiced at that. We see in other sections that, that Samaritans accepted Christ as their personal Savior. And then all the way down to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 14, it should, you'll see it on the screen, for he himself, Jesus says, is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility has brought the Jews and the Gentiles together. And we who are the other sheep of that sheepfold can be part of this one flock and serve the one shepherd. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11, a very instrumental and fundamental passage even for the founding of this church body. Notice this in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 11. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. That is our message. What a, what a glorious message that we have to declare in all of Metro Atlanta, in schools, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, and students. You're going to be in class this next week with students that sit across from you that need to see the reconciling power of the gospel. They need to see you reach out to them at lunch break and sit at their table. They need to see you at recess go out of your way to make them feel comfortable, not to just be friendly, but ultimately to show them this is the love of Christ because Christ has reconciled me to himself. I want to show you the reconciling power of the gospel. And some of us as adults go, amen, preach pastor. Okay, well, what about your neighborhood? There are neighbors that God has strategically put in the houses around your house that desperately need to see the reconciling power of the gospel. They need to see more than just you going in and out of the garage saying, hey, good, yeah, it's hot outside. Rain today, huh? Yep. And month after month after month, sometimes that's all we do. And people all around us in our neighborhoods and maybe in the cubicle next to you at work and around the, the water you know, thing at work, they need to see the reconciling power of the gospel that you can show them Jesus Christ, the reconciling shepherd, can, can do away with so much of the mess that we see around us and the tension and the strife and the fighting and all of this through the power of the gospel, through himself, when he says he is our peace. God, help us to live that out. Help us to show that day in and day out and not, not back away and not run away from opportunities like that, but to embrace it and go, listen, I'm imperfect. I, I don't know all the answers, but Jesus Christ has reconciled me to him and I know that he can reconcile you as well and we can be brothers and sisters in Christ in one body. That's the power of the gospel. Most of us, there's gonna be days where we feel pretty good. We feel like 
things are happening and there's goals that are being met and we're following our shepherd, you know, pretty closely and we're not as bad as the next person. So, you know, we're not, we're not too bad. But there's other days where we're going to be very aware that we need, we need Christ. And I like what one commentator said, the, the commentary called Exalting Jesus and John. And the quote's going to be on the screen. It says, on our best days, on those days that we think everything's kind of coming together and we think that you know, our goals are being met and we're pretty good Christians, on our best days, we're still helpless sheep desperately in need of a shepherd. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes as we finish this morning?